Well, again, good morning. If you have your Bibles, turn with me this morning to Philippians chapter 3. We're going to be looking at verses 20 through chapter 4, verse 1. We're really going to be all over the place this morning, so just um, bear with me as we, as we dive into God's Word this morning. This morning, we're continuing our sermon series entitled, The Promises of God. Over the past seven or so weeks, we have looked at promise after promise, and now this morning, we're going to look at the promise of God's heavenly citizenship. You know, I'm not sure if you realize this or not, but there is an election coming up on Tuesday. Any, is that news to anybody in this room? If, if it's news to anybody in this room, then um, let me encourage you to turn your TV on every once in a while. I usually discourage you to turn it off, but may need to turn it, turn it on. Um, some have said that this election is the most important election in our nation's history. Let me say this morning... This is not going to be a political message. I am not going to stand before you this morning and endorse a candidate. That's not something I have ever done publicly, and it's not something that I intend to do this morning. I think most of you know where I stand politically. My job, though, as your pastor is to shepherd you and to provide biblical oversight for you. My job is not to tell you how to vote but to remind us that regardless of the outcome on Tuesday or Wednesday or six months from now, whenever it's going to be declared who the next president of the United States is, what we know without a shadow of a doubt is that Jesus Christ is King of kings and Lord of lords, and he will be on his throne tomorrow just like he is today and just like he is yesterday. And we need to remember that and remind ourselves of that this morning. Kings and kingdoms come and go, but the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ will absolutely last forever. Now, there are earthly kingdoms, and there are political leaders. The Lord has made it clear that he is the one that has established government, and he is the one that allows leaders to rise and fall. President Trump is in place because the Lord allowed it. If Vice President Biden wins, he will be in place because the Lord has allowed it. Does that mean that the Lord is pleased with the candidate? Not at all. But the Lord does allow certain leaders to be in place in order for the people of God to recognize our need to trust in him and return to him and not place our trust in human leaders for our salvation. Read with me this morning. In um, Philippians chapter three, if you're um, if you don't have your Bibles, you can you can look um, up here on the screen, or if you're joining us online, I know the words will be on the screen as well. But beginning in verse twenty, we read, "But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like His glorious body." by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we come before you again this morning. 
Father, and we ask now that you will just continue to be with us this morning, Father. Be with us as we read and study your word, Father. I pray this morning that you will hide me behind your cross, and I pray that the words that, that every man, woman, student, child hears in this room or online this morning will be your words and not the words of man. Father, just lead and guide and direct and, and show up and show off this morning, Lord. We love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Notice our message point this morning is this. Kingdom citizens are to influence our culture. You and I as believers are kingdom citizens. I was born on December the 28th, 1972 in Wiley, Texas. And if you have ever been to Wiley, especially back in the 70s, um, or really even today, there's not a hospital there. There was a clinic in 1972, and it was a hole in the wall then. Um, and, and that's where I was born, in the big city of Wiley, Texas. Um, I was born into the greatest nation in the world. On that day, I became a citizen of the United States of America. Is this a perfect nation? No. Have we made mistakes as a nation? Absolutely. Have we gotten things right as a nation? Yes, we have. Can we improve and learn? Yes, we can. On April the 3rd, 1983, I became a Christian. It was Easter Sunday in Plano, Texas at Northside Baptist Church. On that day, I gained my heavenly citizenship. You and I, if you are a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, we have dual citizenship. You know, I hold in my hand um, an old passport, okay? This one expired a, a couple of years ago, and I had to go get another one. But inside this passport, I have stamps from all over the world. I have stamps from places like Russia and China, Israel, England, Slovakia, Brazil, Ecuador, South Africa, Mexico, India, as well as some other countries that I forget where I have been. But every time I step foot into a, a, on a foreign soil and present this passport, I am making it clear to the customs agent that I am a visitor in their country for either work or pleasure. I have no intentions of staying for the long haul. As believers, you and I are citizens of the U.S. or the country that we were born in, but we are also heavenly citizens if we are born again into Christ Jesus. We do not have a passport if we're heavenly citizens, but what do we have that give evidence of our, of our heavenly citizenship? We have the Holy Spirit, don't we? And the Holy Spirit is in us, and, and, and the Spirit of the Lord gives evidence of our salvation um, based upon the fruits of the Spirit. Based upon how you and I live our lives, give evidence to other people whether we are a Christian or not. What we know without a shadow of a doubt is that one of our citizenships is temporary and the other is eternal. The temporal citizenship should influence one another's eter um, eternal citizenship. If you are like me, you do a real good job during periods like this being political. You do a real good job supporting um, the party or the candidate that you are most aligned with. But what we have to be reminded of this morning and every other morning is that 
as Paul indicates, our citizenship is in heaven. We need to stop living our lives as if this is all there is. Because this isn't all there is. We have a heavenly citizenship, a kingdom that is in the here and now, and, and one that will be eternal. And my prayer for all of us this morning is that we will live longing more for that kingdom than we do for this kingdom. In light of our upcoming election, let me share with you a few um, points this morning. The first one of this is this. We are a nation full of flawed leaders. Is there anyone in this room that would disagree with that statement? From the White House to the schoolhouse. We have people in elected positions that are flawed. Although we are a nation full of flawed leaders, we have a biblical responsibility to honor those in places of leadership. When Paul penned this letter, the world was morally bankrupt. Everyone, it seemed like every leader from Jerusalem to Rome was morally bankrupt, and they were out to kill believers or imprison believers. Every leader, it seems, practiced unrighteousness. There was a young man by the name of Nero that either had already risen to leadership or would soon rise to leadership. When Paul wrote um, the book of Philippians, and then we're going to look in a second at the book of Romans, um, he was either already in leadership or soon would be. And, and, and Nero is one of the most evil men to ever walk the face of this earth. He is responsible for the death of countless numbers of believers. The world's landscape during the first century, when Paul penned these books, was, 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 was terrible is what it was. Notice, though, what Paul writes in Romans 13. He says, let every person... Be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. You know, Paul does not tell believers to rise up and declare war against Nero or the evil dictators, does he? That is not how kingdom citizens live. What we recognize as kingdom citizens is this, that the government has been ordained by God. Government was established by God to help legislate the laws of God. The purpose of government has always been to do good, punish evil, maintain peace, and protect the oppressed. That is and was the purpose of government. Is that how government always functions? Absolutely not. There have been some evil atrocities that we have been a part of as, as Americans, and there have been evil atrocities that, that most world um, countries have been a part of in the past. But, but that was and is the purpose of government. But because of the wickedness within the hearts of man, there have been and will continue to be corrupt governments. As believers, we are called to submit to the government. Not only would Paul teach on the importance of obeying our political leaders, but Peter would as well. Notice what Peter wrote in 1 Peter chapter 2, beginning in verse 13. We read, Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, 
whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as, if, as servants of God. Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God honor the emperor. Both Peter and Paul would die a martyr's death, most likely under the leadership of Nero. Peter says of this evil man, and evil men like him, what? To honor the emperor. Even when the emperor or leader is out to do evil, you and I are to submit to their leadership. We are to submit to them, and we need to be people that pray for them as well. We should pray for the salvation of those that lead us, and we should pray for the leaders that are, are godly to legislate laws that are based upon God's word. What we should also pray for is that the Lord would raise up out of the church house men and women to lead from the White House to the schoolhouse, men and women of integrity that will live righteously and that are committed to change culture based upon God's word. You know what, when I was in college, I've shared this with you before, but when I was in college, um, I was an intern at the Baptist General Convention of Texas. And, and also a couple of summers, I did youth-led revivals. And a couple of those summers, there was a gentleman by the name of James Lankford that was my boss. Um, James was a seminary student during those days, and he would actually, um, upon graduating from seminary, would move to Oklahoma where he accepted the position of the youth evangelism director for the entire state of Oklahoma, for the entire state of the, that, that are part of the Oklahoma Baptist Convention. He also was the leader of one of the largest um, largest camps in the nation called Falls Creek. Well, the Lord began to deal with James, and, 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 and James would, would run for United States Congress, and he would be elected um, to Congress. And a few years later, a Senate seat opened up in Oklahoma, and he ran for that Senate seat, and he was appointed um, as, as one of the senators for Oklahoma. I don't say, um, I, I, I share that story with you because James Lankford is one of the most godly men that I have ever met. He loves the Lord and he is committed to, to the advancement of the gospel of Jesus Christ, both in Washington, D.C. and across Oklahoma. We need more men that rise up and that are committed to this word and going to legislate according to, that, to this word, God's word. We should also, as believers, obey the laws. Obedience to the law is part of our Christian testimony. We do not, we, we, if we do not obey the laws of the land, then we are being a bad witness for unbelievers. One pastor shared a story about a pastor friend of his from Alabama. He says, I have a pastor friend in Alabama named Bill who was dri um, driving to speak at a church conference um, um, one, one day in a, um, that was in another county. And he was running late. 
So he was driving about 20 miles over the speed limit, and he was passing car after car after car. And as he was driving, he began to um, get convicted because on the back side of his car, he had a Jesus bumper sticker. And he realized that he was driving, as he was driving down the road, he had one of two choices. He could slow down or he could do something about that bumper sticker. So this pastor pulled over to the side of the road. He got out of his car and he ripped that bumper sticker off. And then he got back in his car and he drove on down the road. Here's the moral of that story. That pastor um, should obey the laws of the land. There is a reason I do not have a Jesus bumper sticker on my car. Most of you know why I don't have a Jesus bumper sticker on my car, because I have what is called a lead foot. Um, But regardless, what are we called to do in accordance with God's word? Obey the laws of the land. Laws were given not to harm us, but to protect us. As long as what they are legislating does not go against the word of God, then we are to obey the laws of the land. Now, I want to be very, very clear here. One thing that Peter did do is Peter drew a line in the sand, and and he made it abundantly clear that if the laws of the land contradict this law, then you and I are always to obey this law before we are to obey the laws of the land. There's a story of of Peter and and, um, some of the other apostles um, standing up and preaching the Word of God. And as a result of preaching the Word of God, they were arrested and they were thrown into prison. In the middle of the night, an angel of the Lord appeared and and busted them out of prison. And the angel of the Lord told them to go back to the temple to continue to preach the gospel. And that is exactly what they did. Next morning, they're there preaching the gospel. And once again, they are arrested for preaching the gospel. They, they are brought back before the religious leaders and before the council. And notice these words spoken by Peter. We read in Acts 5, beginning of verse 27, And when they had brought them, they set them before the council, and the high priest questioned them, saying, We strictly charged you not to teach in this name. Yet here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching, and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. But Peter and the other apostles answered, we must obey God rather than man. Again, if the laws that are legislated go against God's law, you and I are always to obey God's law before we are to obey man's law. Notice our next point this morning. Kingdom citizens are to influence culture by being faithful believers. We need to be a church full of faithful believers. The church must get back to being the people of influence that we once were as the church. We must be faithful and faith-filled men and women who are committed to living rightly in this kingdom and living in great anticipation of the next kingdom. You know, you think about the church. In history's past, the church has done a great job of establishing universities, seminaries, hospitals, orphanages, food pantries. We've done a great job of helping um, the poor and helping mend the wombs of the broken. But somewhere down the line, 
the church stopped being leaders in this area, and they passed on that leadership to the government, both nationally and locally. I think that we missed the mark there by doing that. We legislated over what God intended us to do in accordance with his word. As believers, you and I must be committed to the word of God, to obeying the word, to studying the word, hiding the word in our hearts, being transformed by the word. What does 2 Peter 3.18 say? Grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We have been called to grow in our relationship with Jesus Christ. Faithful believers are committed to the word. Faithful believers are also committed to prayer, to praying for our leaders praying for for our godly leaders and praying for our ungodly leaders. We are to pray for all leaders, not only the leaders that represent um, us here in America, but the leaders in foreign lands as well. There is great oppression and great persecution happening under the leadership of some, um, some evil, evil, evil men and dictators across this world. We need to pray for those leaders just like we pray for our leaders. Second Timothy 2, 1 through 2. Paul wrote, first of all then, I urge that supplication, prayer, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for all people. He doesn't say some people. He doesn't say most people. He doesn't say the people that you like. He says all people. For kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life godly and dignified in every way. We need to pray for our leaders. We also, as faithful believers, need to be committed to our families. I think if there's one area that we have failed as family units, it's in the area of, of, of discipleship. It's in the area of training our children to follow after the heart of God. We, we have left that up to our churches. We have left that up to religious leaders, but God's word makes it very, very clear that it should be out of our homes that we are making disciples. We need to get back as family units to raising young men and women that are committed to influencing culture. Faithful believers are also committed to living holy lives. In Leviticus chapter 20, verse 26, we read, you shall be holy to me, for I, the Lord, am holy and have separated you from the peoples that you should be mine. As believers, we have been separated by God to represent God in all spheres of life. In First Peter, Peter said, it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. God has called us to holiness and righteousness. Faithful believers are also committed, should be committed to loving our neighbors. We are called to love our neighbors, even if they don't have the same political views as us. I love being your pastor, and I love doing life with you, and I know that not everyone believes the same way that I do when it comes to um, politics. That does not mean that we can't continue to do life together. Your neighbor with that Biden sign, you are called to love them. That neighbor with that Trump sign, you are called to love them. We are called to love our neighbors. Notice what we read in Mark chapter 12, verses 30 through 31. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. This, there is no other commandment greater than these. What have we been called to do? To love one another. To love our neighbors. 
Man, what, what have we, you've heard the, the I mean, we want to we love the Jesus into them, right? We want to love them so much that, that as a result of the Spirit of God living in us, the Spirit of God dwells in them as well. Next, we see that we are a priesthood full of influential ambassadors. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 1 through 5, Peter wrote these words, So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Let new, like, newborn baby, like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tested that the Lord is good. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves like living stones are being built up as spiritual, as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood. Okay, this is what Peter is saying of us as believers, to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Folks, every single one of us in this room are ministers of the gospel of Jesus Christ. All of you don't have full-time positions like I do in the ministry, but every single one of us in this room are ministers of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We have been set apart, and, and, and that part of being set apart is, 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 is being people of influence within all spheres of life. As ministers, we are to seek to change the culture around us. We should seek to impact the world for Christ and do everything we can in Jesus' name to push back evil from our houses, from our schools, from our works, from our government, and our neighborhood. This world is not getting less evil. If anything, it is getting more evil. Every time we turn the television on, Every time we go to a different news site, we see the reality of that. So what do we do about the evilness in this world? You and I as the church need to start standing up and standing against the lawlessness. And I'm not saying that we need to um, march down streets with with semi-automatic weapons in our hands by no means. We are to influence this world through prayer and in Jesus' name. We see that we are to influence the world through our evangelistic witness. In Matthew 28, 18 through 20, what are we called to do? We are called to make disciples. Every one of us that are believers in this room have been called to make disciples. Make disciples of others. What, what do disciples of Jesus do? Disciples of Jesus turn the world upside down. In Acts chapter 17, verse 6, we read of, 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 of what happened as a result of some of the believers being arrested for standing for Jesus. In Acts 17, 6, we read, And when they could not find them, they dragged Jason and some of the brothers before the city authorities, shouting, These men who have turned the world upside down have come here also. If we're going to turn the world upside down, we need to turn the world upside down for Jesus Christ. And we know this world needs to be turned upside down, right? This world needs to be turned upside down for Jesus. We need to be people of influence, seeking to influence this world for Jesus Christ. We also need to be humble servants. Jesus didn't come to be served. Jesus came to serve, and he has shown us how we are to live our lives as well as humble servants. In Matthew 20, 28, we read, Even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. That's what Jesus said. He came to serve. And if our master and our king and our Lord came to serve, you and I 
likewise need to be servants. In closing this morning, I want us to, I want us to close by looking at the importance of us as believers valuing what God values, okay? You and I need to value what God values. It needs to influence every aspect of our lives. And yes, it needs to influence even how we vote. Notice this, God values life. The psalmist wrote in Psalm 139, for you formed my in, inward parts. You knit me together in my mother's womb. God is concerned for life inside the womb and outside of the womb. As one um, pastor said, God is concerned about life from the womb to the tomb, meaning God is concerned about the life of that unborn baby. God is appalled at abortion. God is also concerned about that orphan that is outside of the womb. God is concerned about how you and I treat the orphan outside of the womb. God also values marriage. Scripture is very clear when it comes to marriage. Marriage is to be between one man and one woman. What do we read in Genesis chapter 2? Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. If God recognized any other kind of marriage, it would clearly be in his word. Notice next, God values all lives. God values black lives, white lives, brown lives. Every man, woman, student, and child has been created in the image of God. Every person has been given the breath of life by the same God in heaven. All lives matter to God. Do not let anyone tell you that one skin color is greater than another skin color. And please do not think that you are better than someone else because of the color of your skin. All are equally valued in God's eyes, and they should be valued equally through our eyes as well. We need to value every life equally, from the womb to the tomb. Notice next, God values the undervalued. The Lord is concerned for the widow, the orphan, the immigrant, the sick, the diseased, the homeless. If he is concerned about them, you and I likewise should be concerned about them. In Matthew chapter 25, verses 31 through 40, Jesus spoke these words. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all nations. And he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on his right, but the goats on the left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you and naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these my brothers, you did it to me. 
how we treat others is how we treat Jesus, is what Scripture says. We should be concerned for the very people that the Lord is concerned for. Finally, we must recognize that God values law and order. God is the lawgiver, and as the lawgiver, we can be certain that he is concerned about the law, about law and order. We looked at this several, um, a couple months ago when we walked through 1 John together, but in 1 John 3, 4, we read, everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. What we know right now is there is much lawlessness in our world. There's much lawlessness, lawlessness that is occurring in our streets. There's much lawlessness that's occurring in our government buildings and, and, um, and, 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 and across our world. God is a God of law and order. And sin, we are told here, is lawlessness. You and I need to be about, as men and women, we need to be about law and order. Not creating chaos, not creating lawlessness, but law and order. You and I need to be men and women that value the very things God values. Now, this is not an exhaustive list of God's values. There are so many more. But these are a few that the Lord impressed on my heart to share with you this morning. Again, in Philippians 3.20, we read, But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior the Lord Jesus Christ. Regardless of the outcome of the election, Jesus is still going to be king, and he is still going to be on his throne, and he is still going to be in charge, isn't he? Do not let this election cripple you. Do not let the outcome of this election cripple you. If your candidate wins, do not allow the outcome of this election to give you permission to breathe deeply and allow those to legislate in accordance with the party. Our job as believers is to influence those who legislate. We do that through our vote, and we also do it when we pray for them and seek to raise up godly leaders to lead in some instances in place of them. Kingdom citizens are committed to influence culture. You know, you may be here this morning and, and you can look back on your life and you can identify one citizenship in your life. And that is the citizenship of the country in which you were born in. But this heavenly citizenship that I've talked about this morning, you're like, man, I don't know if I'm a, if I'm a citizen of heaven. I don't know if I was to die today, if I'd spend eternity with Jesus in heaven or not. If you're here this morning and do not have a relationship with Jesus, I want to invite you this morning to make the greatest decision that you could ever make, and that is to place your trust in Jesus Christ. Declare him to be King of kings and Lord of lords of your life. And the Bible says that if you do that, you shall be saved. Folks, there's two citizenships that matter. There's one that matters greater than the other. If you're not a heavenly citizen, then this morning I want to encourage you to become a heavenly citizen. Let's stand together and, and let's pray. Lord Jesus, we come before you this morning, Father God, and we ask, Lord, 
that you will help us as believers to be people of influence within the world that we live. Father, we are a divided nation. Father, many of our churches are divided. Our world in many ways is divided. Father, you are not a God of chaos. Father, the the division does not honor you in any way. Father, help us as believers in Jesus Christ to bridge the gap between, between the division. Lord, help us to be people of influence. Help out of our church houses and out of our, our homes. Lord, help us to raise men and women that are going to lead in accordance with your word. Father, I pray this morning that if there is someone here that does not have a relationship with you, that today will be the day of their salvation. Draw them unto yourself. Father, may today be the day, just as I, on April 3rd, 1983, placed my faith in in you and became a heavenly citizen. May today, November the 1st, 2020, become the day that someone in this room or some peoples in this room or online this morning become heavenly citizens. Father, we love you and we thank you. For this in Jesus' name we pray.